Hey everyone, and welcome back to the M&M Hockey Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Alex Metzger. Along with me is my co-host, Chase McCallum. Uh, and today, it uh, we got some stuff to break down. There was about three big news pieces that went on this week, and then, um, you know, not much else. So we decided that uh, later, after we get through the news stuff, we're going to do our three biggest teams likely to uh, regress back to uh, where we kind of thought, you know, below that are probably overachieving, and three teams that are underachieving so far this season that we're still holding out hope that will uh, improve um, to some capacity anyways. Um, so we'll, we'll do that later in the episode as well. Um, but first, let's start with a couple uh, pieces of news. First, maybe the, the least big thing, least surprising thing, um, Brent Seabrook officially announced that he will not be ever returning to play hockey uh, ever again. His injuries were just too much. He's barely played it all the past uh, two years, really. Um, he's been on LTIR for a ton of it, but it's official now. I didn't see if he was actually retiring or if he's just going to stay on LTIR for a while. Um, but either way, him not coming back is, uh, you know, it was uh, foreseeable, but also, you know, and never less sad. You know, the guy played 1,100 NHL games, three-time Stanley Cup winner, had a great career. Uh, you know, people probably remember him. Hopefully they remember him for, you know, being the actual solid defenseman who helped win the uh, Hawks some cups and not just – the atrocity that probably shouldn't have been playing in the league for three or four years now. Um, but that being said, you know, congrats to Seabrook on a great career. Um, I just, I, I didn't really, this wasn't surprising to me. Was it to you, Chase? No, not at all. It was only a matter of time. And it's, it's one of those things where like knowing how good he was, it's probably a good thing. We don't have to just watch him hobble around the ice. Cause he just clearly is not an NHL defenseman anymore. Yeah. I mean, I think there's even uh a certain set of fans. Like if you only got into hockey three or four years ago, you would think of, you would remember Brent Seabrook as this just absolute dirt defenseman who couldn't do anything and was just a absolute liability to his team. When in reality um, he was, you know, a, a key part, um, obviously nowhere near as important as Keith Kane or Taves, but um, he was a legitimate part of those cup winning teams um, as a really solid second pair defensive defenseman who took some big minutes and, you know, played penalty kill and stuff like that too. So um, yeah, his contract right now is on LTIR. I think that's probably where it'll stay. Uh, um, the, the Hawks have a lot on LTIR right now. They have Taves, Seabrook, Shaw, Zach Smith, Kirby Dock, and Alex Nylander all on LTIR for a whopping $26 million on there. So, um, I, yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I think it's one of those things where I saw a lot of people complaining. I was like, oh, classic cap circumvention. It's like, well, no, like Seabrook literally has not been able to play over the past three years. Like since 2019-20, he played 32 games. This year he played none. He didn't play any since like, I think it was November. He got hurt and finished his season basically last year. And even in 2018-19, he played 78 games, but he just looked brutal for so many of them. So like, yes, the contract was definitely built that he probably was never going to play it all out. But at the same time, this isn't a case of something like, it's not a Joffrey Lupel thing where he could play. I fully believe that there is no way this guy could play hockey right now. Yeah. And like you, when you see somebody who was once so good, just like broken down, like I'm totally willing to believe this was just injuries because he was legitimately good. But it turns out those like prime Hawks teams, when you're basically only running three defensemen and Seabrook's playing huge minutes, like we've seen it with Keith, too. Like that's really hard on your body. Yeah, exactly. And it's just one of those things where it's like, yeah, you know, like when the contract was signed, people were like, Ooh, that's probably not a good deal. Just, you know, knowing how these guys age, but uh, it's, it's not shocking that it played out exactly how everyone said. It's just, this is what was 
probably always bound to happen at some point, even if he managed to stay healthy for an extra year or two, like it wouldn't have shocked me if he said in 2022, 23, he just got to the point where he literally couldn't like, I think he's the dude's had like six surgeries over the past year and a half or something like that. So um, it, it's just one of those things where, you know, I, I saw a lot of people like, Oh, classic Hawks getting out of it. It's like the dude's been on LTIR for a year and a half. The only difference now is that he's literally announcing he cannot come back where like, I'd rather see that than them just for the next four years. Like, no, no, definitely. He is going to return. And he just never makes the return. Right. Yeah, exactly. And like we said, like, it's just so it's been clear. He's been cooked for like years. Like he's probably been playing through tons of injuries too, beyond just the ones that we've seen. Absolutely. And, you know, he was someone who, he was, you know, a tough guy who didn't want to play, you know, who wanted to keep playing through the injuries, but they just obviously got so much that he, he just uh, absolutely couldn't. And again, fair enough. Like, um, there's nothing much else to say. I think, you know, there was a couple of people this weekend that maybe or this past week that I thought maybe tried to take it a little further than was ever needed. And just, no, it's just a dude who played a lot of hockey in his career, a lot of physical tough hockey in his career and his body caught up to him. And that's bound to happen for, you know, a bunch of people. Yeah, exactly. And he's 35. Like it's getting to the point where um, like everybody kind of signs or whenever analytics nerds freak out about a long-term deal people are like oh well they're just being over dramatic or whatever but like if you just sort the nhl by age you don't find very many competent 35 year old defensemen and the ones that you do find are usually way better than brent seabrook was in his prime anyways like it's the charas of the world who are like slam dunk hall of famers who can still kick it at 35 usually yeah i mean yeah it's a mix of guys who are either just slam dunk hall of famers or guys who uh of just like Ron Hainsey's who are clearly just holding on for dear life. And it's like, yeah, you're going to be out of the league within a year from now anyway. Right. Um, yeah. The Ron Hainsey's of the world. Yeah, exactly. And I, I'm trying to find the data right now. Um, um, but I, someone went through defensemen that were over the age of 35 and how many there were. And I think it was like under 15 players or something like that. Oh, yeah, I remember doing it. I'd run my model or whatever, and I would just sort by age to see, like, the best players at any given age group. And that was one of the first things before I even made an aging curve that made me realize, like, Jesus, you really can't be signing guys after 35 because Datsuk and uh, what's his name? Charles were, like, two of the only successful ones and Yager, but he's a bit of a freak. But, like, there's really not that much. Yeah, the only, only guys – the only time you should be signing anyone over 35 is, like – under a million dollar in contract or 1.5, you know, like it's the, the Joe Thornton's of the world and the Jason Spezza's that you can get still a bunch of value out of because they are, uh, um, you know, born or sorry, they're, they're, you're paying them 900 K to 1.5 and they're still, and even the, those guys I would call outliers, you know, especially Thornton anyways, you know, but you know, Spezza, you know, I think what's he 36 now, 37. And he's still a solid fourth line player, but you're not paying, you're only paying him to be a fourth line player, right? It's not like they're handing him second line money and he's on the fourth line. Exactly. And Jason Spencer was like a slam dunk all-star in his prime for like a long period of time. Like this guy was amazing and he's just very clearly a fourth liner at this point. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I I don't know. It's one of those things where um, I think people get a little, little caught up in just, you know, the cap antics. And because, I mean, there has been some questionable moves by any team in the past, but uh, this was definitely one where I think it's just clear that, uh, you know, the guy just couldn't keep playing anymore. And, and I think that's fair, you know? Um, so uh, good career for Brent Seabrook. And, um, you know, he'll, he'll keep continue 
continuing to collect a bit of a paycheck here for the next little bit on LTIR. I'm trying to see what his actual salary is. And yeah, I mean, so his total salary anyways, right now is it dips. It was in this current contract, it was nine, 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 seven and a half, five, six, five, four and a half. So there was a little dip, but it's not like he's just forgoing a ton, like no money at all. Like it's not like the, um, uh, Marion Hosa deal where it dropped to 1 million and the time it dropped to 1 million, he's like, Oh yeah, by the way, I have a condition. I can't play hockey anymore. That was a lot more suspect to me than this is, you know? Yeah, exactly. And Hosa was one of the outliers who was actually pretty good up until the end too. Yeah, like, exactly. See- he probably would have been a useful player still when he was going. Right. So exactly. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't have much more to say on that. Uh, our next piece of news, uh, let's go with, Let's go with the Flames firing the coach. Uh, this honestly probably is the most surprising thing to me um, because I I don't know. So I think it, it honestly really fits in well with the discussion we had last week because um, last week we were talking about Claude Julian getting fired as the Habs head coach. And um, the biggest thing I think that I came away with anyways, um, you know, was that uh, we are our biggest thing that we agreed on was that one game, the difference between beating or losing to this Ottawa Senators in your second straight game shouldn't be the difference between firing your coach and giving him an extra couple games to see what happened. And and with Calgary here, and um, they they pummeled Ottawa. Like it was a seven-two just dismantling of Ottawa. And Calgary goes, no, we're uh, we're good anyways. We're going to fire our coach and bring in Brent Sutter. Um, and I I don't know. There was a lot of people who were surprised at the timing, but I, I kind of. We'll get into the replacement in a second, but, you know, firing Jeff Ward because the team wasn't doing good enough, even after they pumped Ottawa, I kind of respect still making the decision and, you know, going from our standards of what we said, where it's like, okay, if you weren't going to fire him because you beat him, you know, there's no way you should be firing him because you lost. Right. And they kind of stuck to their gut no matter what here. Yeah. I respect that decision. If you believe this is like the plus EV move for your franchise, make it whether you dismantle the Ottawa senators or they beat you six one yeah exactly and like it was um you know there, there was i think most people did understand because when you you go oh my gosh how could that come and then you realize that they're three points out of a playoff spot with three games uh more played than the canadians who are ahead of them right now you kind of realize oh yeah this team is really underperforming considering their division there isn't that good um so you look at that and you go okay well, I guess that does make a little more sense, but you know, I did, I did see a bunch of takes where it's like, wow, they just de- destroyed the senators. You think they'd get a little more time. It's like, uh, no, like <laughs> they really should like Ottawa's nine, nine, 17 and one. It's not like they, they really deserve a, a ton more time. And ironically, uh, the senators ended up beating the flames again last night in a shootout. But, um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I definitely give them credit for, you know, this, if they think this is the right move, this is the right move for them. And, um, I don't know. I go back and forth because I think, you know, Jeff Ward obviously just got handed a contract yesterday. Uh, he, or yesterday, last year, sorry. Um, that uh, whole thing with, um, I don't even who who was their head coach they fired last year. Uh, oh, blanking on his name. Piece of shit human though. Uh, Bill Peters, Bill Peters. Um, with all that, you know, yeah. The, the story that came out with all that stuff, um, you know, Jeff Ward took over, brought them to the playoffs in the playoffs. You know, they, they beat uh, the jets in the, that uh, play in round and then lost to the stars and I, uh, who ended up obviously going to the cup final, but in large part, you know, they just had a ton of injuries they're dealing with when playing Dallas. So, you know, he gets the extension comes in this year and they just, they really underperform. They really do. And um, I, I'm not, 
shocked by the coach firing. I'm a little surprised only because I think um, the one thing I thought that might save him was just for the fact that in a pandemic owners are losing money. You don't want to buy out a new three-year deal. And, and they obviously gave Sutter a three-year deal, but uh, that didn't seem to save his job at all. And so that might've been the only reason I was a little surprised. Yeah, I wouldn't uh, like no NFL coaches were fired this year. Right. And I believe Uh, Jackson or was it Jacksonville or no, Adam Gase was right. But that was at the end of the year. Very, very end of the year, like week 16 or whatever. Yeah. Like I remember people saying basically no matter how bad they do, very few NFL coaches are going to get fired because of the COVID situation. And I kind of figured that would carry over to the NHL, which makes us a little weird, but if they believe it's the right decision, uh, good for them for making it. The question is, is it actually the right decision? Yeah, exactly. Also, the um, I should say that uh, Bill O'Brien was uh, fired from Houston oh, halfway through the year. That's been a liar for those yeah. who are. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think uh, I don't know. I, I go back on fourth on Daryl Sutter. I think the biggest question to me is more not the um, um, is he the right fit for the team. Is that you know there was there was a bunch of reports and allegations that you know when the Babcock stuff was coming out and the Bill Peters. He was more in the Babcock line of things where it was like, yeah, he would verbally abuse players more than the, he called someone a slur or anything like that. Right. But, um, you know, if I'm not mistaken, his name was in kind of that news cycle of other guys, people kind of realized uh, uh, that, you know, he maybe has as outdated tactics. And that's kind of the biggest question to me in terms of hiring him. Yeah. I don't know. I guess only the people who are in those like LA Kings dressing rooms, would know for sure. I feel like I remember the same thing as you do. Like, yeah, like I, I'm like, I'm pretty sure that he, his name, and it, nothing was ever really confirmed, but there was always a couple stories of like, oh yeah, Sutter would do this too. And, um, uh, you know, or yell at his coach or go over the line yelling or whatever. Um, yeah, 2019 Calgary Flames coach, uh, this is from two days ago, but Calgary Flames coach Daryl Sutter denies abuse allegations from 2019. So he's denied it all. And, Again, you know, we can only get into what we have on hand. Uh, it's one of those things where I really do hope that uh, the Flames organization, um, you know, put in some work to actually try and figure this out and, you know, um, uh, make sure that it was okay. And um, if anyone wants to know what the allegations were, it's from Daniel Carcillo. Um, and Carcillo said that he saw Sutter kick a player on the bench and mentally abuse another player who was suffering from a concussion during his time coaching the LA Kings. Um, and so, uh, um, Sutter obviously denied that this week, but it, it, again, it's one of those things where we, we can only know what people say, but it's one of those things where you, you hope you really do hope that, uh, um, the, the flames put a legitimate investigation in and, and, you know, not just, you know, looked past it or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Like it's one of those weird things where any sort of logical model would assume that these multi-million dollars organizations did their due diligence really thoroughly, but also crazier things have happened. Oh, absolutely. Like, uh, you know, we see people get hired and, um, you know, rehired and, and everything or get, you know, multiple job opportunities after, you know, it's, it's very obvious that it should just be nowhere near the business. Yeah. They keeps happening over and over again. And, um, it's just one of those things where, yeah, I, again, you, you would hope it's common sense to just look into it and see that, you know, okay, let's make sure those allegations aren't true for sure. Like, you know, hear his side of the, and, and you don't, you don't always need to hear both sides, but this is definitely, it's just like, okay, what, like what happened here that he at least thought he saw it or whatever, you know? Um, so yeah, that, and that's just the off ice stuff. Um, 
for me, uh, that, that was the biggest concern to me. It was the off ice stuff. Uh, you know, if you want to look at this just on ice, is he the best fit? I'm interested to see. I really am because, you know, obviously he has uh, the, the, the cups from uh, LA there in, in 2012 and 2014. Um, his tactic, he's known as an old school guy, but I've also had, you know, heard a couple guys defend him about uh, Jamie McLennan was uh, on, on TSN and he was defending him saying you'd be surprised how many analytics he has, but uh, to, to me, I, I do kind of wonder, I, I, I don't doubt that he does use some kind of analytics, but Jamie McLennan's reference was when he played for him in the early two thousands, it was like, you haven't scored against this team in six games on a Tuesday. It's like, okay, well that's meaningless stuff. I don't care about that stuff at all. It's like, if that's the kind of analytics he's using, I'm more scared than if he's not using analytics at all, almost. Yeah. That is kind of worrisome. Although he is kind of in that Claude Julian vein where like he, coached like fancy stats gods teams for a long time yeah i mean his his possession numbers in la were off the chart like it was like the model franchise of how to play quote-unquote grind them down hockey and people were like oh you know nerds hate that it's like no nerds love the la kings they thought they should be an upset in 2012 in 2012 they had one a dark horse favorite and guess what they were yeah, exactly. They're like the perfect analytics example where everybody was like look they're just murdering teams at five on five and the puck didn't go in yet and then Obviously, when the puck started going in, they started murdering teams. Yeah, exactly. And so um, uh, definitely one of those things where um, just purely from an on-ice, and I get you can't just look from an on-ice perspective, but I, I do think it's fair that Calgary made a change. Uh, you know, they not, they haven't been playing under, – underlines haven't been bad by any means this year. You know, score adjusted, they're about 12th in Corsi 4 percentage, and I think they are around there in expected goals as well. Um 56, uh, they are at 10th at 51.8%. Um, so it's not like they've been playing horribly, but um, if you just look at the standings, they've definitely been underperforming, uh, you know, their their expectations, really. Uh, they are fifth in a, a division that is relatively easy. This is a team that is supposed to be all in for, you know, like this kind of year. They just went out and grabbed Jacob Markstrom. They, they spent money on the blue line as well, some depth forwards. And me and you were both pretty high on this team as well. And they've just, they've really underperformed sitting at 11, 12, and three at the time of recording. Yeah, exactly. And they're, it's, they're a weird team because like nothing's gone like catastrophically wrong, but like they're just in a terrible spot. Yeah, I mean, it's it's it is kind of insane. You know, Jacob Markstrom's been hurt for a little bit here now, but um, you know, you look at it, and it's like, okay, well, where are they being let down? And uh, you know, you go, let's look at five on five save percentage, and uh, that that's probably you, you know the first place you would look at, right? Well, they're twelfth in five on five save percentage. It's not yeah. like they're getting absolutely crushed by that shooting percentage. They're at uh, 18th, 7.98. So maybe they're slightly underwhelming, but they have an overall PDO of 1.002. It's not like they are just getting absolutely crushed by one one thing or the other. Yeah, and like, I mean, he hasn't bounced back to his like near 100-point season self, but like Gaudreau's been good. Like, and the Gaudreau bounce back, I think, is what most people thought their season was contingent on, and that's happened. Like, I, yeah, it's, it's not like even yeah, their depth has been maybe a little underwhelming, but it's not even like they've been particularly just like 
disgustingly bad either i i wouldn't say like it's it's kind of crazy you know when you look at it and um, all situations save percentage they're at 19th so their penalty kill hasn't you know the penalty kill situation hasn't been great and all situation shooting percentage they are at 24th at 9.06 so you know when you look at all situations i think you could probably lean to their special teams and kind of say that's where the season's gone wrong right now but it's one of those things where they're definitely underperforming but as you said it's not like just one very very obvious thing that needs to change yeah exactly like their their power play hasn't been exactly amazing either but it's not like like their league average in terms of goals for per hour on the power play right now like it's not that's all right like it's not it's not good but the flames aren't exactly the most talented team in the world like a lot of their numbers are kind of right around where they you would expect they might be and yet the wins just aren't coming yeah, it's a lot of just like everything is probably slightly below where you would expect and their wins are pretty far below, you know, what you would expect. And some of that is too, just like, you know, they, they played Montreal, Montreal, that really hot start to the season. And now Edmonton's really cooking with just, you know, the McDavid dry side of heating up and the Jets have been on a roll at 7-3-0 and in their last 10 or whatever. And so you know, it's kind of a mix of maybe just catching teams at the wrong time as well. But some of that is you need to go on your own run and you would expect a team with like Matthew Kachuk and Johnny Goudreau to, to do that. But, you know, even against Ottawa, they, they hadn't played Ottawa at all up until this past week. And, uh, you know, I think they're about 500 against them, which you just, unfortunately, you can't do. And again, we've talked about how Ottawa isn't this horrible team that we saw from earlier in the year. But when every other team has taken points off of Ottawa this year, you need to do it too. And, um, you know, Calgary went in the five games they played Ottawa, Calgary won two of them and lost three of them. Now they lost one. They went two, two and one overall because they lost last night in a shootout. But, um, you know, taking five points out of a possible 10 just isn't good enough against the worst team in your division. Yeah, exactly. And like they're below Batman 500, like they're less than a point a game right now. Like they're just they're in kind of a terrible spot and they've really went all in on this year or at least like the, this year and the upcoming year. Yeah. I mean, they kind of have to like this year's the one that they really are have to go all in because next year you have, you have a real big question where it's like, you need to figure out, I would assume they're going to re-sign Matthew Kachuk, but you know, you got to figure out what that number looks like. And you really got to figure out what you're going to do with Johnny Goudreau, because if you don't, if you don't plan on competing in the next couple of years, you know, Goudreau's up next year, it's probably better to trade him. And just, you know, if you're looking like you're going to be the 15th best team in the league next year, I would hedge on the side of trading him instead, you know, same with Sean Monahan. you know, you might start to explore the market for, you know, what a 27 year old with a year and a half left on his contract looks like. Um, and, you know, you have a bunch of pieces up um, this coming summer as well, but they're, they're, they're mostly depth. Like Sam Bennett has asked for a trade, Derek Ryan, uh, do, do, but uh, Dylan Dubé, you know, you're, you're going to have to pay him. He's getting a raise off the 778 K he's making right now. Giordano's up after next year. You know, I don't, I don't think they would want to trade him, but again, if you're in a full on rebuild and you have the ability to trade a, a top pair defenseman and a top winger and a two C I would say Monahan is like, that could really, just accelerate your rebuild. Same and even like Dave Riddich, if you trade him to a team in the off season, you know, I mean, he's up this year, but uh, there's just, there's a lot of pieces here where you really have to decide where you're going with this team, what to do. Yeah. They kind of seem like they're in the perfect spot where they could blow it up and get really far ahead of a rebuild, but instead they're going to lock themselves into mediocrity for like seven years. 
Yeah. I mean, this is the NHL thing where it's like, and I get it's, you know, you have to sell your owner on rebuilding as well. And the the fact that they're probably not going to get as great ticket sales as they want for a year or two, but um, you know, you, you think you would be able to sell. It's always insane to me. Um, You know, from a GM's perspective, I get that they're not always, they're just trying to save their ass. Right. And the thing about that though, to me is I never understand how, these billionaire owners who have made their, you most of them theoretically have made their money off of not just doing things in the short term, but looking ahead, seeing the long-term benefits of everything, how so many owners just refuse to want to rebuild for a year or two because it means they're not going to get ticket sales right away. When in reality, they know it should be better that if they're an absolute juggernaut for four years after it, because the rebuild went right, you know, they want to do that. And people will point to like, the Buffalo Sabres being in perpetual rebuild mode. It's like, well, yes, but like, that's also because they didn't hire the right people. And if you don't think you have the right people to do it, why are they working for your team right now? Yeah, exactly. Like the Buffalo Sabres being stupid isn't a reason not to do the smart thing. Yeah, exactly. And like, I I get for, I guess the other side of that is for owners that, you know, the cost benefit of um, being bad versus good for four years, four years off, four years on or whatever actually probably isn't worth it comparing to just being middling for eight years. And as weird as that sounds, the reason for that would be if you make the, it was Ottawa centers motto for years and from 2011 to 2018, really, they make the playoffs one year, miss the playoffs the next. And, um, you know, they, oh, they had the chance to go fully rebuild and they kind of end up settling on this team. That would be, uh, probably the 12th to 16th best team one year and sneak in the playoffs, maybe win around, but you know, sometimes just losing round one. And then the next year they completely disappoint and be the 23rd best team or whatever. And that was just their perpetual thing, but it worked for them because literally, I guess just three to six games of home playoff revenue every other year is better than sucking for three years and being really good for every year in, in some owner's eyes. And, you know, again, I would personally disagree with that. I would say that, if you, you know, obviously Toronto doesn't need the gate revenue, but if you look at a team like Toronto where you sucked for three years, you were committed to being bad for two or three years, and it only took them two, and now for six straight years, you're going to be in the playoffs and, you know, a really good team or a solid team that, I mean, obviously they haven't made over the hump yet, but has made playoffs every single year. To me, that is a better long-term strategy than, well, let's just kind of hope we're a playoff bubble team every single year. Yeah, exactly. Like you'd think that's way preferable to be like the Leafs have a shot at being the Penguins or the Capitals of this generation where you're competitive for like 15 years around the same group of guys. And you would think that would be like the end goal. Obviously, Cups are the end goal, but like the realistic end goal is to just be really good for a long period of time and the Cups will come. Yeah, I mean, yeah, for sure. And I think sometimes we have to split on ice with financial purposes, but even financial purposes, I think the Capitals are a perfect example. There's no way the Capitals didn't make more money being one of the most hyped teams in the league, going to the playoffs, having home ice advantage every single year. Even if they absolutely screwed out and lost in round one or two for literally nine straight years, they never missed the playoffs. And that is better than just making the playoffs and going on a run to the second round once every four years, making the playoffs every two years and missing every other year. Like even if you don't, you don't end up winning the, the fact that they were bad for three or four years and then have probably what made it for over a decade straight. Maybe they missed one year. I really don't think they've missed since like 2010. Have they like, it's been over a decade of making playoffs basically. And you know, that, that just seems like a better outlook from obviously a cup winning standpoint, but even a financial standpoint too. Yeah, they missed one of those weird Dale Hunter years, if I remember correctly. But, like, they've basically been the model of consistency. 
Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, that sounds right. Though one of the years when people were asking if Ovechkin was washed, and then it turns out no, just asking him to play a ton of defense and forget about his best thing in scoring is not a good way to uh, um, play. <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. I'm, I'm just looking it up now too because now I'm just curious as well. But uh, yeah, it's just one of those things where it's like I really don't understand. You know, we're way off topic here, kind of with the Flames thing. But I, I just, I really. I really don't get how, um, you know, it, it makes more sense for owners to say, no, 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 let's try and be the 12th, the 23rd best team every single year. And say, instead of saying, let's rebuild it for two or three years, get ahead of it. Cause that's the, that's the biggest thing that we're talking about here is um, the, the reason people end up having to spend years on years on years is because they don't get ahead of it. But if you're the flames, you have a really good chance to trade Goudreau, trade Monaghan, trade even Giordano you probably are looking at three first round picks there. You know, like I think Goudreau definitely is getting a first round pick. Giordano is definitely getting a first round pick. Monaghan with a year and a half, I think you could get a first round pick, but if you don't, you could probably get a second, fourth and a decent prospect or something like that. Yeah, exactly. And given how cap strapped everyone is, like if you're willing to retain on the Monaghan and Goudreau's of the world, you can probably even amplify that return like even more. Yeah, exactly. And it's just one of those things where it's like, um, to me, that seems like it makes way more sense than just, you know, holding on, signing them to big deals you're going to regret in six years and, and just being a mediocre team for the next, you know, four seasons or whatever before you eventually really just have to, to tear it down. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think that's exactly where they're headed, though, is they're just going to stick with it and be so forgettable. Yeah, absolutely. I, I definitely agree. And, you know, I, I just... I kind of, part of me doesn't want them to, I think they should go in this year. And then, you know, if this year is an absolute fail out, then, you know, they can, they can look to rebuild, you know, that being said, like if they, if they legitimately find, you know, what they thought they had in this team and they make a legit run at it this year and then going into next year, if it's really good to start the year, then I don't mind saying, okay, we still think we have a couple of years with this team, but it's got to be more than just being the fourth best team this year and sneaking into a wild card next year. It's got to be like, you legitimately look like you should be one of the best teams in your division. Yeah. Like you got to be more than mediocre in the freaking Canadian teams division. Yeah, exactly. Um, and for anyone wondering in Washington, 2013, 14 was the time they missed the playoffs. Uh, they missed it with 90 points in 82 games that year going 38, 30 and 14. Um, and then since then they've, they've made it, uh, uh, seven or six times in a row. And they had made it six times before that. So 12 of the last 13 years, again, you cannot tell me that's a better strategy than going half in half out. Um, so yeah. Uh, talked a bunch about Calgary, unless you have anything else to say on them, Chase, I think we can move on. Uh, yeah, I got nothing else. I was going to include them in my underachievers list. I also have them in my underachievers list. So I kind of off just cause of, uh, I figured we go pretty in depth here. Yeah, I was going to say, um, I have them. I, I might choose a, a, a fourth team anyways, but yeah. Um, so if we, we'll probably touch on them a little more, but that's basically, you know, the gist of it where it's like, I, I really do think that they should be going in this year. And, you know, I, again, going in this year, I don't think, you know, you need to go spend a ton of assets or anything like that, but I don't think there's anything wrong with keeping this core together. Um, I guess if in a couple of weeks, you know, I don't know, because I was going to say, I guess in a couple of weeks, it's still not going well. Maybe you sell David Redditch, but even then, like, who's, you know, we've seen year after year, you don't get good value for a goalie at the deadline. That's an offseason thing, and he's a free agent after this year, so. Yeah, it's pretty tough to get anything for a goalie, even if they are, 
like the was a Ryan Miller's of the world, and you go for like a second round pick way back in the day. Like that's just a tough, uh, it's a tough sell to make. Yeah, exactly. Like Jimmy Howard, the rumored like rumored thing was like a third round pick is all the San Jose was offering or a fourth, and like San Jose desperately needed a starting goaltender. Yeah, exactly. Because the the market just isn't there. Yeah, exactly. So um, the last piece of news that we had to talk about, uh, I I really wish we didn't have to talk about this, but we do. Uh, Tom Wilson gets suspended. He gets seven games for a hit to the head on Brandon Carlo. I believe they called it boarding. Uh, it's it's tiring having to, having to keep talking about this guy. Uh, I'll get your thoughts on the length of the suspension first. Uh, was it too long, too short? You know, what were you expecting? What were you expecting and what did you want? Because I think those are two different things in my mind anyways. I was expecting a three-game suspension. I want – give him like 50 games, and that's not even an exaggerate. Like make it hurt him for once. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at too. I was honestly expecting probably three to five. Um, and honestly, if it was any other player, I don't – like it might have been one, maybe not even a thing. But that's – and again, that's not – you know, Caps fans are going to be like – Oh, that's that's the Washington bias showing. It's no, that's the Department of Player Safety being absolute ass cheeks at their job. They're horrible at their job. I I cannot believe we have that department still doing this just freaking poorly. But um, yeah, I'm I'm with you. I tweeted out that I, I hope they just throw the book at him. And honestly, I get like it's the whole priors thing. But throw 50 games at Tom Wilson. Make this a, the appeal last as long as you can. And then that point, at least, I don't care if he only has to lose 20 games of pay. If he set out 35 games, that is least, that's least better than just settling for six or seven games, which is very clearly, obviously not changing anything because he's done it once again. Yeah, like, and for those who are like, oh, well, he's not technically a read of, repeat offender. There's a lot of people using the word technically in this argument, trying to defend Tom Wilson. And I feel like if you have to say that word, you're wrong. Yeah, exactly. Like if, if you're, if your biggest part of the argument is, well, the only reason he's not a repeat offender is because we had a pandemic to put um, a halt in a bunch of the playing time. So he hasn't even been able to play since he got back to, to give the timeline since he got back from his last massive suspension. That's what actually makes him not a repeat offender. It's like, well, I think you're arguing the wrong thing here because he's then still very much doing it after a huge history of doing this type of shit. Yeah, and there's no way he's had zero suspendable plays in the past 18 months. Even if he yeah, hasn't well, even like right when he got back, he had a a hit to the head on I think it was Marcus Johansson that ended up not getting suspended because they deemed it by accident somehow. Yeah, and it was insane. That was the other thing where people was like oh, the primary point of contact wasn't the head because he touches his shoulder before he explodes into the guy's brain. It's like, well, if I go to punch you in the shoulder and my follow-through ends up just clocking you in the face, you're still going to be mad at me for punching you in the head because I'm responsible for my own goddamn body. Yeah, and I mean, part of that's, again, part of that's on the rule book, which is absolutely insane um, that, you know, I think the rule by now, it should have been this years ago and it hasn't been, but um, it should have been that any contact to the head, just like in double IHF is a penalty or, you know, a suspension or whatever, not primary point of contact because a hit to the head is still a hit to the head. I don't care if you go shoulder and then absolutely explode onto a dude's head, you know, like with your shoulder it's still a hit to the head. And again, you can punish straight hits to the head more, but any hit to the head should be a penalty and any massive hit to the head should be a suspension, whether or not you hit the shoulder first. 
Yeah, exactly. Like hitting new, like this was just so clearly predatory and it was just so painfully obvious. I don't know why it surprises me that people defend them, but God, it does ever happens every single time. Yeah. And there's like people who legitimately aren't like, like caps fans are like, no, this is just a bias against the capitals. It's like, no, it absolutely is not. I mean, and again, they point out like, well, this hit didn't get suspended. It's like, yes, that's because the Department of Player Safety sucks at their job. It's not because Tom Wilson's hit wasn't dirty. Like, there's no way that that is a clean hit, quote unquote. And yeah. if you're trying to argue that, please stop watching the sport because, you know, it, you're not making it better. Yeah. And the that is the ex- want- like, that, that's the exact shit we need out of it. Yeah. Like the people who want Tom Wilson suspended and think other people should be suspended for those hits they're pointing to are like the Venn diagram there is a circle. Yeah, exactly. And like, and again, like if this was just any non-repeat offender, I I mean, I would still want a big suspension because I just don't think this should be in the game, but it's like, it's a little different because it's like, okay, yeah, who knows it? Maybe he didn't mean to, or, you know, even if he did mean to, he should still get six or seven games. I think I would be quite okay with that. But like, it's a guy who 2017, two game suspension from a preseason hit. And he had, when he absolutely dummied Robert, Robert Thomas, 2017, again, uh, boarded Samuel Blaze during each team's 2017 preseason finale. He got suspended two times in the same preseason. How is that even possible? So he got suspended two games for a preseason hit against Robert Thomas and then four games in the regular season because he uh, just dummied Sammy Blaze. And that was a brutal hit. I don't know if you remember that one. May uh, May 2nd, 2018, suspended three playoff games doing an illegal check in Zach Asinari's jaw. Again, absolutely disgusting hit and that's technically worth six in the book of the NHL department because of their backwards thinking on playoff games. But, um, you know, October 3rd, 2018. So literally games after that suspension on uh, Zach Aston Reese, he gets a 20 regular season game suspension because he just brained Oscar Sunquist of the St. Louis blues during a preseason game. Uh, and he appealed the suspension, obviously uh, Batman upheld it. And then he fired for a third appeal um, and it got reduced to 14, but he had missed, I think, 20 or 16 of the 20 games anyways. Um, you know, and then now 2021. So he's had four suspensions before, three of them in the freaking preseason, which to me is way worse than getting one in a regular season because it's like, why are you trying to absolutely brain guys during the preseason? Um, but, you know, this is his fifth suspension, all for head hits. And there I can count on my hand or I can count just off the top of my head three times where he probably should have been suspended, but the league didn't want to. Yeah, exactly. Like it, it's, he has a terrible record and it should be worse. Yeah. Like the, the, the Johansson one's the worst one in my brain, in my mind. And I, I'm trying to find a clip of it right now. Um, but it was like, he was literally cutting across the ice and uh, they ended up saying, no, we don't think he saw him, but it's just like, he was literally just getting off of that massive suspension. I'm pretty sure in uh, um, 2019 as well, you know, 2018, 19. And, and uh, I was just like, it was just one of those things where it's like, Oh my God, like, how do you, how do you, I, I just don't get it, you know? Yeah, it's it's absolutely insane. The best the best metric for me was, so we have a friend, his name's Nate, in one of our group chats, and he's a humongous Capitals fan, always has been since basically Ovi got there. And when he's coming out and being like, yeah, I don't even, I wouldn't even try to defend the Tom Wilson thing. Like when some of your fans are, like, it's just so bad. Yeah, exactly. And uh, right here, I have it. November 30th, 2018, Tom Wilson was ejected for an illegal check to the head. Um, and it, it was a disgusting hit. And the Department of Player Safety, again, being bad at their job, thought, no, that's enough discipline for the guy who literally is just coming back from his fourth suspension for a hit to the head. Um, 
or I guess third and then a boarding one as well. But yeah, it's just one of those things where it's like, you need to clearly giving him just minor suspensions has not worked up to this point. And again, yes, it's better than not that he didn't do this within the last two years, but also the amount of games and players that have played in these games that have also never just absolutely brained someone over the past two years is quite a few as well, where it's like, we shouldn't be rewarding him for not making an illegal play that is disgusting and gives a guy a concussion in, you know, 80 games or whatever it's been since he last did it. Yeah, exactly. Like it, it should be the, the default or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Like it's why you should be having punishment and, and, you know, more and more punishment. And again, it goes back to like, I guess you can say it's like, well, is there, is there a time where, um, you know, it resets. And to me, I don't think it should, unless it's like, I guess, like, I don't know, like if it's five seasons after, and it's one of those things where it's like, okay, maybe he did, maybe he didn't mean to. And he's had an absolute flawless record up to that point. Sure. Maybe I can get behind it, but it like, it's been a year and a half of actually not even that of actual gameplay. And, you know, since he got Reed's last massive suspension, there's still been a handful of times where it's like, in honest, like in the ideal world, you should probably be suspended for that as well. Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't think this is true, but like, say Joe Thornton was like a dirt bag at the start of his career in like the early two thousands. And he randomly started to become one again today. Like maybe you would be like, oh yeah, no priors there. But like a a year and a half where a whole bunch of time was missed from COVID is definitely not enough time to be like, well, I guess we should treat this like a random person because we have no information on this guy. Yeah, exactly. And it's just one of those things where it's like, where do you draw the line? I, I don't really know. Um, but I think to me, it's very clear, you know, that this is his fifth suspension now. And again, it probably could have been his seventh or eighth if, you know, the department actually just did their job and I, I give a lot of flack to them. This is also on GMs and owners who, and and honestly the, the players association too, who is more worried about keeping money from the suspended players than they are about the guys who are getting like lifelong concussions from those hits, um, you know, because they don't lose money when they're injured. They're just getting an injury paycheck. Whereas the guys getting suspended, lose money. And that's all they're worried about, which is insane to me, but um, you know, it, it's on everyone, but the, the fact that, you know, just like, the stuff we see that goes unsuspended or just doesn't get you gets like a fine or one game is just it's honestly insane. It's brutal. But um, I don't know. Like I, I don't care to talk about it much more. I would have rathered him. You know, again, like if this was me, I would have you know wanted to throw the book at him. But uh, seven games, I guess, is honestly more than I was expecting him to get. He's not appealing it, so it will be seven games. Uh, you can make the argument it means more in a shortened season. I don't think I would agree with it, but at the same time, you know, seven games is better than two or whatever, which I really do think that there's a, uh, there, there, there's a non-zero chance that that could have happened. So um, I guess take the little positives that are there, but o- overall, I think it's just one of those things where it's like, oh my God, like, do we really have to go through this? Yeah, exactly. And it's another one of those technicallys where it's like technically seven games does mean more now, but like, I mean, seven games is seven games. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, that's all we have for news this week. Uh, let's get on to our list. Uh, maybe more of a, a lighter spot for discussion instead of um, disappointment. But uh, do you want to start with the, the improving teams or the regressing teams first? Well, if we're going for more uh, upside, we might as well start with the underachieving teams because we think things will get better. All right, cool. Give me your first team then. 
My first team by a mile here. I think these guys are like the most obvious underachiever in the NHL is the Pittsburgh Penguins. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, you know, just looking at the standings right now, they're fourth in their division, tied with 29 points. They're two points ahead of the Flyers who have two games in hand with them. So um, uh, they've been a team we've talked about a lot. Obviously, they hired a new GM halfway through this year, and, you know, they've, they've been in the news. Uh, Leo, your case, why you think they, they are going to be one of the most uh, improving teams going forward yeah. here? I kind of forgot they are uh, te- technically in a playoff spot, but like n- their underlying numbers have been bad. Like the team just looks pretty terrible, to be honest. And a lot, of, even though like Crosby's been fantastic, a lot of it's come down to Malkin looking really, 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 really bad for long stretches of time. And then the classic goaltending problem in Pittsburgh, but I don't expect those two problems to persist or at least the goaltending not be as extremely bad as it is now and obviously Malkin should be a dominant player yeah I think those are both uh you know their goaltending has improved a little bit over the past couple years it was like like league league bad um over the first few uh um weeks there obviously it was uh you know Matt Murray and Tristan Jari were two of the worst goalies and it's funny because obviously one of those goalies aren't a penguins goalie it's just the other guy that they had the option of so uh it's, it's really weird to look and be like oh okay yeah those guys were gonna be bad no matter what but um yeah i don't know I, I go back and forth on pittsburgh i didn't have them on my list i think it's not a bad assumption to assume that malkin probably isn't completely cooked at this point considering even as recently as last year he looked really really good um so i think it's definitely one of those things where if i had to look and um, by the end of the year in the East division, I think they would probably be closer to more comfortably in a playoff spot, but um, you know, a, they, they're uh, some of that is also because I don't see the devils and Sabres being a playoff team and the Rangers have struggled as well. And um, you know, um, spoiler alert, I don't have the Rangers on my list of teams that are going to drastically improve either. No, I definitely do not, but I, I expected them to be, maybe it's relative to my expectations because I had really high expectations, but like, I didn't have the Penguins are losing the five on five, like play driving battle on my bingo card. And they have been, but I don't expect that to stay the same. Yeah, I guess that's fair. I mean, they're, it's not like they're, they're atrocious. I think they're 19th in expected goals and like 15th in Corsi four or something like that. So they're like, they're not horrible by any means. They're 11th in five v five Corsi four, right? Literally, literally 50%, 50.5. But um, yeah, I, don't know. I think that's a fair one. Um, my first team was Calgary. Uh, you know, we've talked a lot about them. We don't need to get too much more in depth. Uh, mostly just because of the roster. Again, they haven't been playing particularly well. Honestly, if I'm being completely honest, like uh, their number, their um, underlying numbers have been average, like, uh, we went over them. What I say, they were 19th, I think, in expected goals, um, and somewhere around there for Corsi four as well. Like uh, Corsi four at five on five, they're 10th, and expected goals they are 51.85 percent, which puts them at uh, eighth. And that and that's non-score adjusted. I think you drop the they drop a little bit if you go to score adjusted, but they're just a team where again heading into the year, I really thought that in a, such a weak division that. I thought they would probably be pretty comfortable in the playoff spot and halfway through or approaching halfway through here, they really have a ton of work just to, to get in like even the four spot. Yeah. Like the median scenario probably has them missing the playoffs right now. Right. I would assume. So let me check Dom's model. I know um, 
another team we're going to get to probably eventually here, you know, he had, uh, I, I want to really, yeah, I said he, there was a team that, you know, we were been shocked at the beginning of the year, if they were above 50% halfway through to make the playoffs, but uh, I would definitely assume like they're less like a 38% by Dom's model to make the playoffs right now. And yeah, that makes sense. Cause they're good, but overcoming three points back and three games up on the Habs is pretty tough. Yeah, I mean, if anyone's wondering for his for this division, he has the Leafs at 100% now. Um, obviously, it'd be 99.999 something or whatever, but rounding up. But Montreal, 93% to make playoffs. Edmonton, 82. Winnipeg, 81. Um, and then Calgary, 38. Vancouver, 6. And Ottawa at a nice 0%. Um, but uh, it, it's one of those things where, you know, that seems right just because, uh, again, and, and like it's not like 38% chance is nothing. Like it's, you know, over a one in third chance, you know, one in three chance to you know make the playoffs. There, there is a very real scenario here where Markstrom goes on a heater and steals the next five games, and suddenly they're probably closer to 45, 50%. But, um, you know, you need that actually to happen for you to for that one in three chance to, to come true. Yeah, exactly. Like before the year, I would have said they needed things to actively go wrong to miss. Now they need like multiple things to be hitting at once just to make it in. Yeah, exactly. So um, I have Calgary, though. Uh, I think they're, you know, I don't know if they will make the playoffs, but I just don't see them being, you know, this bad below Batman 500 for the rest of the year. I just think their team is too good. Uh, Goudreau's been fine. I think Markstrom probably still has room. Yeah, I think their goaltending still has room to improve. They have enough talent on that power play where I think, you know, that shooting percentage might go up a little bit. So um, I don't think they're, I would definitely readjust my expectations for them being, clearly the second best team or whatever in this division, like I thought, but I, I think they should make the playoff race at least a little more interesting. Yeah. Like they should at least be with the Oilers, Jets and Habs. Yeah. Um, who's your second team on this list? The Nashville Predators. Okay. I did not have this team. Um, give me your reasons why. Um, we both kind of talked. We weren't like super high on the Predators. Like the, we kind of, figured their window is shut but like I also didn't expect them to be below Batman 500 at this point you know what I mean like they're I didn't expect them to be dominant but I also didn't expect like lottery team bad from the the Nashville Predators yeah I think if you know um yeah, they've been dealing with injuries I know Duchesne's on the IR right now there I think it was, it was Ellis or Eckholm has been hurt a lot this year so that hasn't helped them at all but yeah, I, I, they're definitely struggled way more than I thought they uh, would have heading into the year. And honestly, even just looking at their like their score adjusted, their tenth in Corsi four, seventeenth in expected goals. So I don't think they should be this bad. Um, the sole reason I left them out is just because, by all accounts, it kind of sounds like this team is going to start selling. And like if if we're saying every keeping everything the same, I would definitely expect this team to improve from eleven and fourteen and. Um, sixth in their division behind the Blue Jackets and Blackhawks. Um, but I think if they start selling off pieces like, uh, um, is it, it, it's who do they not sign to an extension yet? Uh, Eckholm. Eckholm is who they've been talking about uh, trading. If they trade like Matthias Eckholm and even, you know, we talked about it, like Mikkel Granlin might be out on his way out on the door. Do you sell Philip for Forsberg or someone like that? Um, you know, if they sell a couple of these pieces, I really don't see this team bouncing back. And, you know, Saros has been brutal this year. He's on the IR. That leaves you with Pekka Rene, who is 38 and not doing very well. And Casimir Kaskisquo, who's 27 and uh, was the Leafs like fifth stringer at one point. So 
Uh, I just, that's kind of the reason I left them off my list. I think all things considered, if they got a clean bill of health and kept everything the same, I would definitely expect some improvement though. Yeah, that's fair. If they start selling, all bets are off, obviously. And for the record, I think the smart thing to do would be sell for similar reasons of the, what we talked about with Calgary. But like, yep. they're enough team they're P- they have like a 97 pdo right now at even strength like they're they're just so much clearly better than yeah they're, they're definitely better than the only reason they're not second last is because the stars have played five less games than them and you know and the only reason they're not last is because the red wings are in their division uh they're, they're definitely a better team than that you know it's just they haven't um showed it this year but yeah i i think that's a fair pick especially if we're keeping all things equal, you know, I just, it really does sound like they're going to sell. And I agree. I think that's the smart thing instead of just being mediocre again for years on end, but um, it'll be interesting to see where they go from there. Yeah. They'll be a semi-interesting as interesting as the Nashville predators could ever be. They will be that interesting for the rest of the yeah, year. For sure. Um, my only thing that might be, I have one that was in Pittsburgh's division, but, and also in a playoff spot, but not Pittsburgh. Uh, I have the team that's currently tied with them in points, the Boston Bruins, as uh, my second to improve. Um, And this might seem strange, giving a team that's currently third in their division and um, almost second in points percentage. But I really do think that the Bruins have the capability to really just take this division lead by storm in the second half of this season. Um, They've dealt with a ton of injuries to start the year. and, And frankly, I think Ben maybe even a little unlucky just in terms of some of their results. You know, they're fourth in Corsi four percentage right now, um, score adjusted, and their expected goals are a little lower than that, um, um, but not much. Uh, they're, where are they sitting in expected goals? 12th in expected goals at 51.39%. So, you know, they're a top 10 team possession-wise, I would say, and um, just the other teams ahead of them are the Capitals and Islanders who, uh, well, I wanted to get to the Islanders in a second, uh, for regress teams and not for the reason I think most people think, but those teams just aren't juggernauts or anything either. Right. Like I, they're good teams, they're strong teams, but I think I like the Bruins more, you know, they've had, uh, I think Marshawn's missed some time. Pasternak definitely missed some time. Um, their blue line is just a mess. Obviously Carlo got hit by Wilson. He's week to week, but you know, like just about every piece they possibly could, they were claiming Jacob to, or Jared Tenorti off waivers the other day, just to get some depth on the blue line. It's like, okay, yeah. When, when that happens, you're probably pretty, uh, pretty hurt. And then, you know, Jeremy Lawson, Kevin Miller, Andre Cache are all right now on the injured reserve and they've just missed a ton of man games to injuries. And I think once this team gets to actually play together and put it together, I think they should be the clear favorite for this division. Yeah, that's fair. I, I, Pencil the men's is doing like slightly too well to consider them from my list since they have the second best goal differential in the division. They're driving play super well and they did it without Pasternak for a while, but like, you're definitely right. I expect them to just start murdering teams basically here in the second half because they've been that good through a lot of adversity. And if things start going right for them, like they're clearly the best team in this division if they start rolling. Yeah, exactly. And I think the goal differential to me also just is another reason why they absolutely should start, you know, jumping up the standings. They have, uh, uh, I think sixth or seventh or seventh, maybe best goal differential in the entire league. Um, yeah, there's two divi- there's two teams in each division other than their own that are better than them. So they have the eighth, I guess, uh, best goal differential in the entire league. But I think if you looked at league wide points percentage, they're probably closer to 12th or whatever. And I just, I expect that to change to the point where it's like, by the end of the year, it really wouldn't shock me if they're top of this division, pretty clearly a top five team in the league. And, you know, we're considering them a threat to go, you know, to the conference finals in this division. 
Yeah, exactly. Because it's not like anything's fundamentally changed from before the season when we considered them like juggernauts. Yep, exactly. Um, who's your final team? Um, the Dallas Stars were my final team. Hey, we share the same final team. Well, there we go. Um, yeah, you 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 go first. Give me your reasons why you think. I'm assuming it'll probably be pretty similar, but you you go ahead. Yeah. So if you look at their, um, if you look at everything they've been doing, obviously they've had massive COVID problems, but like you look at their standings, they're below Batman 500 and yet they're kind of just, they're driving play well enough. Um, they're still a talented enough team. Their power play has been relatively good. Like all the signs are there. And yet they have a positive goal differential despite being sixth in their division. Like they've been kind of down bad and I do not expect that to last. Yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, they're seven, eight, and five, and they have a positive goal differential. They're two, six, and two in their last 10. Um, and yeah, the COVID, just the COVID stuff and how many cancellations they've had has been the biggest thing for me. I mean, um, and you know, I think the only thing going against them is their schedule is going to be so damn compact for the rest of the year. Like they're going to have to play, I think like 36 games probably in the next like 70 or less days, you know, like 66 days probably or something like that, which is going to be absolutely mental. But um, yeah, I mean, you just, you take a look at their schedule because of all the delays they've had. I mean, they played yesterday and March 6th, March 4th, March 2nd, um, and then February 27th. So they had a couple of days off there, 25th, 24th, 22nd. Before February 22nd, their last game was February 13th, which they then played every other day um, for about five or five games straight. Um, and then, you know, you get into January and, uh, uh, the same thing applies January 22nd, 24, 26, 28, 30th, 31st, February 2nd. So, um, and then their first game was January 22nd. They had a, you know, a bunch of layoffs because of COVID and stuff like that. And then also obviously the, um, the power outage that happened in Dallas, unfortunately. So, um, it's just been one of those things where, you know, having that, um, much of a delay between games and then just having to play games where it's like, you're playing your fifth game in nine days or whatever, like that has got to be exhausting. And, you know, something I get, you know, it, it's going to have, they're going to definitely have more of, but I, I just think that, you know, mix that with their, the fact that they are actually playing pretty well, they're just not getting quite the results. And they're a team that I think should be shooting up the standings again here soon as well. Yeah, exactly. Like in terms of the off ice stuff, it's just been everything that can possibly go wrong has, and that's clearly not going to continue going forever. Yeah, exactly. Like, I think it wouldn't shock me if they make the playoffs. I think um, there's three teams in this division that look pretty comfortably in a playoff spot right now. And another one that I think is, you know, uh, comfortably in there, but their team isn't as good. And I would not be comfortable with saying they're a playoff team just yet by by any means. Um and that would, you know, be Chicago, who was hovering around 50%. But, um, you know, again, by the projected standing, Chicago's at 49% on Dom's model, and Dallas is at 47 So they're literally right there with a, a coin flip chance. Just probably depends on, you know, how healthy they can stay down the stretch when they have this uh, grueling stretch of games coming up. Yeah, it's going to be tough, and they're not a particularly young team either. So it might be even more rough on them. Yeah, and they just had a deep run with a shallow offseason, right, because of the cup final run. Yeah, exactly. Like it's, it could be, could be rough for them, but I think they're a good enough team that they should do it. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, all right, let's go on to the regression candidates. Then I have, 
I had four names here. I'm, I'm, depending on your list, I might sub one in or out. So I have three names and then the fourth. And then I had two that I thought I, for sure I was going to have on this list and I don't. So I want to touch on them really quick, but that'll be after. Uh, who's your first team to, you know, for your biggest regression candidate? Um, so I feel weird putting this one on because obviously we like to look at a team's underlying numbers and stuff to see if they're legit or not. And the Florida Panthers have been absolutely fantastic. And yet, I don't know, it doesn't feel real to me. This is one of the teams I had surprises because I was going, I thought for sure I was going to have Florida on. And it's been like, like I went and checked. I was like, oh my God, like, I don't think I can have this team on because I don't think they're going to regress out of a playoff spot. Like on, on Dom's model, they're uh, 95% chance to make the playoffs because of how hot they've started. Uh, g- give me a reason why it doesn't feel real. Cause I-, I definitely agree that there are a couple factors at play that I think really could be the downfall of this team. If there was to be a massive collapse. Like it's one of those things where if you're like a fan of this team and you wanted to be like, Chase, you're a freaking idiot for saying this, I would like have a tough time uh, arguing against you because all of the, so- like all of the predictive signs of, of their team level results are there. But like, I don't like, and this season's been a huge driver has been like Alex Vander Barkov has just decided he's peak Pavel Datsuk all of a sudden. And like people have been saying he's amazing for years and he's finally like being actually the player that everybody thinks is the Selkie winner or everything. But our prior on this team is just so different from what we've seen. I can't imagine they're actually this good. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that's kind of, you know, it's fair enough where it's like, um, and the, the other thing for me too, is that if you would have told me that, uh, Sergei Bobrovsky just picked, keep, uh, kicked it back to peak Sergei Bobrovsky form. And that's helped them a lot too. I'd be like, okay, well that makes sense. No, it's Chris Jir- uh, Dreiger, 26 year old who, uh, was Ottawa's sixth string goalie at one point, I think. And they kicked him to the curb and he signed in Florida on a bit of a whim and took the starting role has now been unreal. You know, that's the kind of thing where I don't know if it's actually gonna, you know, stay, or, you know, um, remain like this, because I think that is a bit far-fetched. Yeah, that's a huge glass house. But if you look at, so out of evolving hockey, the teams behind them in expected goal differential in order go Toronto, Tampa Bay, Vegas, Washington, and Dallas. Like yeah. they're, I, I don't think they're in that tier of a team, even though the results are with are with those teams, which is like as good as you could realistically hope for. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, yeah, it's the same thing with even like the, uh, I just shared uh, Barkov's Evolving Hockey RAPM chart. And it's like, it's kind of insane. Like, and you know, you look at uh, his um, uh, hockey viz, you know, it's just like, it's a big blue spot in front of his own net and a big red spot uh, in the offensive end. And it's like, oh my God, like this guy's insane. But like, even then, like if you know, if I told you he cooled off a little bit to where he's not peak Datsuk for the entire year, this team's results probably cool off a little bit too. And I think it's definitely fair to expect some regression. Exactly. And then I guess the flip side is like a player peaking at 25, which Barkov is, who's shown insane amounts of talent throughout his career. Not the craziest thing in the world either. But we do have like thousands, like the previous like 4,000 minutes suggest he's not this good. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, I think that's a fair one. I had them off of mine just because there's a couple other teams. I think our underlines are clearly 
suggest that they might just regress this year where it's like, there is a, I think a scenario for the Panthers too, where, um, you know, maybe they keep this going for the entire year. And then next year is where we really see the regression set in, you know, like uh, it wouldn't shock me if they do finish second or third in this division, hell even first, uh, you know, I wouldn't bet on them finishing first, but if they're near that division lead and we go, Oh my God, like what is going on? And then they're just one of the most overhyped teams going into next year. It's like, okay, yeah, this actually probably was a little more smoke and mirrors and, you know, what we thought was going to come at the back half of these 56 games came in the next 82 instead. Yeah, especially if this team makes like the, the second round of the playoffs, say their doomsday never does come, then they beat Caroline in the first round or whatever. I could see them being a really fun team to bet the under on next year. Especially because they'd be going back to the Atlantic division theoretically with Boston, Toronto, and Tampa in it. Yeah, 100%. So. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that as well. Um, yeah, it's not a bad choice. I had them on my surprises because just of how good their underlying numbers are. But as you said, I think there's a lot. And even just like Carter Verhage has decided that he's going to be on a pace for like a 30 goals in a regular season or whatever. It's like, okay, well, yeah, that's probably not going to continue, you know? Yeah, like they've had literally everything go right. Like random third string goal, he has a 920 save percentage. Carter Freeding Verhage is playing out of his mind. Alexander Barkov has went from mediocre five-on-five play driver to, like, having one of the best seasons we've ever seen. Like, there's just so many things going right at once that I'm skeptical it will continue, although I guess for Panthers fans, I hope it does. Yeah, 100%. Um, My first team was the Winnipeg Jets, who are currently – second in their in, in the division in the north division they are seven three and oh in their last 10 um they have a goal differential of 10 uh they're 15 eight and one on the season with 31 points um pretty comfortably in the playoff spot they're six games out of calgary with two games in hand on them um but also pretty comfortably in second place obviously toronto i mean they dropped a pair to vancouver over the past couple of days so um but they're they're six points behind uh, or seven points behind Toronto and they have two games in hand. So um, at the the very least they could be three, I guess, but um, yeah, I, I think Winnipeg for me is one of the most likely regression candidates uh, granted, you know, um, with Hellebuck and nothing is uh, for sure. Um, you know, Hellebuck's been a huge part of this team being as good as they are again this year, because um, uh, they are 28th in expected goals for, um, um, when you, uh, sorry, five v five adjusted, obviously goals four, and they are not much better in Corsi four either. I think they are around, you know, they're 48%, which puts them down at, uh, 23rd. So I just one of those teams where, um, you know, I, I thought that maybe, you know, I, again, like the, there might not be instant regression, but at the same time, I feel like they're high in talent and just uh, goaltending is really dragging them a long way. And the only thing that would stop this from a heavy regression hitting is if they do really improve the blue line, I think. I don't know why I did this to you. I started with my number one underachiever and then I went with my number three overachiever because I only had two. The Jets, I also had as one. I completely agree with everything you said. They look like the biggest glass house in the world. Yeah, and I, I think it's just like it's one of those things where they do have enough high end talent and like in right spots, you know, like their top six is really good and and they, they have a really elite goaltender. But it's one of those things where, you know, you run into a stretch where you play McDavid, who's hot a couple of times. And uh, honestly, 
you know, I think there's an argument to be made that the Canadians could probably be a little higher on this list. I, I didn't have them just because there's been so much talk both ways about them. But, you know, Montreal's first and expected goals and like fourth in Corsi four percentage. And it just comes down to shooting talent. But, you know, you get Tyler to fully hot for a couple games and they score a goal. Like there's a real potential where if Hellebuck's not standing on top of his head, this team drops four or five in a row and I'm not shocked by it. And suddenly, instead of comfortably in a playoff spot there or in, and looking for the division lead there, 15 points off the division lead and two points out of, you know, fifth place in this division. Yeah, I could see that. Although admittedly, I think they kind of are entrenched far enough. I think this is the kind of team that gets exposed like crazy in the playoffs. Like that's when everybody, they have the spotlight on them. Everybody thinks they're good because for some reason people love the Winnipeg jets and to hype them up. And then they see how bad they are in the playoffs, just getting killed at five on five. And that's when everybody realizes it. Yeah, I think that's definitely fair. You know, again, Dom's model on them at 81% to make playoffs, which I think feels about right. Four and five, or, you know, four uh, four to five times that would happen. And again, that feels right. You know, that maybe that fifth time there is a giant collapse and maybe Calgary catches catches fire and, you know, comes after them. Um, but, you know, to to get to the second round, they're at 19%. So, you you know, you drop from 81 to 19%. Um, and, and this is like, assuming that they might have, you know, there's a decent chance they might have home ice, you know, if they keep second, but um, you know, if they have to play the Leafs, a team like Toronto, like I really don't like Winnipeg's odds. I think if you have to play Edmonton, maybe you, you, you're okay. I mean, you got to shut down McDavid and Drysaddle, obviously, but you know, uh, I would much rather face either of Montreal or Edmonton versus Toronto. Oh, a hundred percent. Cause Winnipeg's whole thing is, we get absolutely murdered at five on five, but we have good special teams and shooting talent. Well, you know who has probably more shooting talent and maybe better special teams than you and is way better than you at five on five is the Toronto Maple Leafs. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, yeah, to me, I, I just thought that they were probably, you know, I, I didn't really even think about the order, but I, I would say they were probably the biggest regression can I had just from like, um, you know, I, I definitely do think in a shortened season, as you said, they probably have entrenched themselves enough that it would take a pretty big meltdown to miss the playoffs. But um, I definitely wouldn't call them secure in the playoffs either, considering how far up they currently are. Yeah, I agree. Um, my second team, then uh, I had the Chicago Blackhawks. Um, this is a team that, again, this, I was referring to them earlier, Dom. Uh, Dom's model had them at fi- over 50% chance for the first time all season the other day. Uh, I think they lost a game and it dropped down to 49, but they're pretty much 50, 50 chance, which uh, is way more of a percentage than I thought they would have after 25 games. And here they are um, uh, to me again, this is kind of like uh, they're getting insane goaltending, but the difference between them and the, the jets is we've seen Hellebuck be absolutely elite. We have not seen Kevin Lankinen be an absolute elite goaltender ever because we've never seen the dude. He's a 25 year old as a rookie, just absolutely, you know, lighting the league on fire. And, you know, it's just like one of the Vesna candidates if you did it right now. And that is just uh, insane to me. And I just, I really don't see it uh, continuing, you know? Yeah. It's super unlikely to continue. I had Chicago too, as well. And like, Saying they have a 50-50 shot at the playoffs is like sounds like a compliment given how low all of us were on them at the start of the year. But like they're six points up on the fifth place team in their division and they still only have a 50-50 chance at the playoffs. That just proves how aggressively they are overachieving. 
Yeah, exactly. And I mean, like, a part of that is also just because Dallas has played six less games than them, obviously. So, you know, Dallas wins even four of those and takes another one into overtime. And and suddenly uh, Dallas is only three points behind with the same amount of games played instead of, uh, I don't know, 20, or, uh, 12, I guess, is what they are right now. But, um, yeah, it's definitely one of those things where it's like there's clearly such a lack of faith here. And um, you know, it's weird because in any other division, I think they'd be even worse off. Like if they were in the uh, East division and they had like pen- the Penguins, Flyers, and even the Rangers chasing them, I'd feel way more confident about any of those teams. But it's not like I'm super high on the Blue Jackets. And we just said the Predators are probably going to be sellers. Um, and that's probably the only thing keeping them afloat that much. And, um, you know, it's weird because it's not like they have a super high PDO either. They have a pretty low shooting percentage of five on five, but um, you know, they're, they're getting it done with, you know, Patrick Kane's putting up a ton of points this year. Um, and then, you know, you look at down Pia Suter apparently is just like, uh, decided to be, it, it's the classic, uh, um, joke about the Pittsburgh Penguins just producing random guys to come produce. Uh, Pia Suter is eight goals in 26 games this year. It's like, yeah, okay. I'm sure that that's every something everyone saw coming, you know? Um, and you know, th- I think it is kind of impressive that they're doing this without any, either doc or, uh, Jonathan Taves. Yeah, it's kind of wild, actually, because they presumably – is, is Tate done for the year? Uh, there's just been no update on him, like, at all. Yeah. So, so I'm assuming they might even have, like, reinforcements coming at some point. Like, it is – it's actually impressive what they've done. Like, they should be very impressed with what this injured cast of characters has managed to do. But, like, there's just no reason to expect it to continue. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think that's what kind of people get caught up in is – we're not saying that the team shouldn't be happy with, you know, um, thinking that they were probably like, I had them as the 31st team in the league. I thought they could be that bad, but you know, find start finding a goalie who's just going absolutely mental. It's like, okay, well, like, I mean, yeah, maybe at the end of the year you, you look and you go, okay, maybe that's not the most ideal thing we've ever had, but just in terms of a, a draft pick standpoint, but at the same point, at the same time, this is a pretty weak draft year. And it's like, if you have the ability to find a goalie who, you know, right now he's fifth in goal saved above average. And, um, you know, I think he's a little further down in a, above expected, but he's still 12th and above expected, which really isn't that bad at all. Um, you know, if you can find a couple guys where it's like, oh, maybe he is a piece going forward. Uh, that's great. But, you know, at the same time, just like even their goaltender, like Malcolm Subban has been way above, is above expect above average as well. And I think Delia has been as right. Uh, all right as well. And you, you, if you came into the year and said that trio is going to be one of the best goaltending teams in the league, it's like, uh, yeah, I, I'm not going to believe you. And, and to me, just that mixed with their horrid underlying numbers are kind of why I have them as a big regression candidate for the second half of this year. Exactly. And yeah, their, their underlying numbers are bad. Like they're, they're a bad group of skaters getting outplayed because they're overmatched most nights and that's to be expected. And the goalies aren't going to save them forever. And the moment the goalie stops saving them, it's going to be really ugly. Yep, exactly. Uh, did you have a third team? Yeah, it was the uh, it was those Panthers. But I just had a question mark next to them. Uh, these like the Jets and Blackhawks to me were the two most obvious like regression candidates by a mile. Yeah, I agree. Um, so I had two more teams that are kind of. I think I'm going to choose one over the other, but I, I wanted to touch on the other one as well. Um, my one team that I am choosing, it looks. It, I think it would have made more sense about three days ago when they were actually in like third in their division. Um, it's the LA Kings. Uh, since then the wild and avalanche have just actually played games. And now the Kings are two points out of a playoff spot with a game more played than the guys ahead of them. So, um, but you know, LA was a team that was actually like 
they went on a huge run. I think they were like eight, one and one in their last 10 at one point. They're down to six, two and two now. And people are starting to ask, you know, Oh, is this a team that, you know, maybe they make some unexpected noise in this division. And my, my answer to that would be absolutely freaking not. They're getting amazing goaltending from Cal Patterson, but their underlying numbers are uh, not great. They're 19th in Corsi four percentage at 48%. And uh, they have a 44.89 expected goals percentage, which puts them at 31st in the league. Um, so they are bleeding high danger shots. Um, I, I do think it's a team where, again, like I would be encouraged going forward just in terms of maybe have something in Patterson. None of their rookies are really playing right now either. So there's going to be a wave of enforcements coming up late this year or early next year, which, uh, you know, would be is good for them. But just for in terms of this one season, I, I just don't think that they are going to stay around the playoff bubble for much longer. Yeah, I think this look list, I guess, would have looked a lot different um, like six days ago or whatever when they were in a playoff spot. I don't really think about them, but yeah, like they're a, they're a really, really bad team still, and I hope nobody gets fooled into thinking otherwise because they ran hot for a little bit. Yeah, and I mean, part of the thing is too, just how high they are in this division is that uh, the division sucks, to be honest. Like we said going in, there's three really good teams. Um, you know, you had Minnesota uh, entrenched in fourth. I said maybe uh, Arizona would be kind of close, but I thought it was three really good teams, two kind of bubble and three really bad teams. And it's been three really good teams. Minnesota very, very clearly kind of uh, in their own tier. Maybe even you could argue with the top three teams and then everybody else in this division. You know, the Coyotes, Ducks, Kings, and Sharks are all not very good. And, um, you know, I, I think by the end of it, I think the Coyotes might end up ahead of the Kings. Um, but it's just one of those things where, yeah, even like, when we, if I if we would have done this podcast five days ago, the Kings were technically at the time in third in their division because the Avalanche had a bunch of cancellations and uh, the Wild had a bunch of cancellations as well. But they both played games and you know have since then passed them. Um, um, so it looks a little less bad. Yeah, exactly. It's they're start. It looks like they're starting to come back down to earth already. Yeah, um, my other team was the Philadelphia Flyers, which might be a weird one to people, but. Uh, you know, I, I, the reason I chose LA over them is because I do actually like Philly's like talent a lot more than LA's, but uh, Philly hasn't been very good either this year. And, you know, when we had two of our top three teams, I mean, you had Pittsburgh and I had Boston in their division as teams we think are going to really go forward this year and no teams in their division as teams that are going to fall back. Um, that kind of left me looking at them. They've got a 47.86 expected goals percentage right now. That's 22nd in the league and 47.42 Corsi four percentage, which is um, uh, 26th in the league. So, you know, they're, they're worse than 20th in both the teams. They currently also sit in fifth spot, but they have two games in hand on Pittsburgh um, and they're two, only two points behind Carter Hart hasn't been particularly good this year. And this was kind of, kind of the year they were really hoping he was going to take that step forward into being, you know, the next young elite goaltender. Instead, he's got a minus 5.91 goal saved above average and minus 10 above ex- or above expected. So um, he's really, really struggled, you know, this year. He's out of uh, 49 entries. He sits uh, 44th in, in above average and I think probably near dead last in, in expected, 45th in ex- expected. So he's been one of the league's worst full-time goalies and, um, you know, maybe I expect that to bounce back a little bit, but just overall, like you look at how much this team struggled and the fact that uh, they're in the playoffs point percentage wise is impressive enough. Yeah, Philly's a really weird one, too, because like they have like a 102 PDO at even strength. And I would argue they're overachieving their underlying numbers, like you said, but they're probably underachieving what we expected of them. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. Strange. 
Yeah. And I mean, you look at this um, Metro division from the, the models and right now it's Boston, 90% chance to make playoffs. The Islanders, 80 capital, 70 flyers, 69. Nice penguin 70. So it's like one of those teams of the capitals flyers or penguins, or maybe the Islanders too, I guess are going to miss the playoffs. And, you know, they all have a really good shot at it right now. It's always one of the funny ones when you, you know, uh, that people always get bottled shit for it. They can't wrap their head around five teams having over a 50% chance at making it. Yeah, which sucks for which the team doesn't make it because they're probably not going to deserve to miss. Yeah, exactly. Like it's like if the the dice rolled another way and they're not actually that bad, you know, um, maybe they, you know, wouldn't miss. But at the same time, that's just not how it is, unfortunately. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Philly's a really strange team. I don't know what to make of them because I I didn't really expect them to be getting outplayed like this at uh, even strength. Yeah, me either. I just like I thought their goaltending might be average and it's just it's not been that, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Like Carter Hart taking a next step this year seemed like the most logical thing in the world, but I guess that's why uh, goalies are weird. Yeah, exactly. Um, Only other one I really wanted to touch on real quick was the Islanders. I didn't know we're wrong pretty long, so I won't talk about them too much. Uh, They were my surprise team. I thought for sure they were going to be the first team I had on regression because they're currently leading the division. And I don't think they'll end up winning this division. As I said, I think Boston's a pretty good team and is going to take control of it. But the Islanders are actually outplaying teams right now and deserve to be winning games. You know, they're top near top of the league in both expected and Gorsi four. So um, again, they're a team where I thought I was for sure going to have them as a regression candidate. And I didn't, I don't think they'll be first in the division, but uh, 70 to 80% chance of making playoffs seems about right to me. Yeah, it's weird. I fully expected the Islanders to be top of the regression list as well. And they're actually like dominating teams at even strength. They still don't have the um, shooting talent, but if you can outplay teams like this, you can make up for a shooting deficiency pretty easily. Exactly. Um, shooting talent other than Mar- uh, Matt Barzell. Did you see that goal this weekend? Good Lord. That was disgusting. Oh, but yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I wanted to give, I know, I don't know if there's any Islanders fans who even listen to us. I, I highly doubt it after how much shit we've talked about them over the past three years, but um, if there are, I want to give them a quick shout out anyways, just because uh, you know, it's uh, it, it was really surprising to see how, you know, they've been playing actually very well so far, but yeah, they've been, yeah, they're not on a PDO heater or anything. They're just a legitimately, they've been a legit, legitimately good team and good yep. for them. Exactly. Um, that's all for this week. You know, this, this actually ended up being a way longer episode than I expected, but uh, it's not a bad thing either. Uh, thank you everyone for listening. Uh, as always, if there's anyone you want to hear on the podcast, let us know. We're probably going to try and get a guest on next week. Uh, um, as always, you can also check out my work and Chase's work at lastwordonhockey.com. You can check out my other my avalanche stuff at milehighhockey.com. Find me on Twitter at NHL Sends and Stuff. Chase on Twitter at CMHockey66. Thank you everyone so much for listening, and we'll talk to you all next week.